Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. All right, let's grab your Bibles this morning, get into the Word. We're going to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Valerie sends, my wife Valerie sends her greetings this morning. She, uh, the Butler family is tired of the stomach virus. Y'all had the stomach virus yet? That is not fun at all. So we've been fighting it. So we got another couple, another couple of Butlers are down. So um, she's at home tending to the little ones. And and, uh, we are believing that we will be healthy. Everybody be back to normal soon. Um, Mark 12. Starting in verse 18. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees. Who are the Sadducees? Religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. That's not to be confused with Pharisees. Pharisees is another uh, group of religious leaders. Uh, that they, they had a different set of beliefs. And uh, Jesus wasn't real fond of them either. Different set of problems. We'll talk about them later in a, in a uh, coming series. So the Sadducees came, they posed this question to Jesus. Teacher, Moses gave us a law. Now, y'all try to follow this. If a man dies, leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Any of y'all interested in marrying your sister-in-law? Please don't raise your hands. That just got weird real fast. Now, well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow. Verse 21, the second brother married the widow, but he also died without children. Then the third brother married her. Listen, (laughs) y'all, two brothers already dead, I ain't going to be number three. I'm not signing up for that. I don't know what number seven was thinking. Last of all, so this continued all seven of them, still there were no children. This sounds like a 2020 episode right here, doesn't it? Last of all, the woman also died. I reckon she did. So, verse 23. So the Sadducee said, So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, Please pay attention to this, verse 24. Jesus replied, Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. It doesn't say they will be angels in heaven. So granny ain't got wings. Okay? So that's not how that works. But now, as to whether the dead will be raised, haven't you read about this in the writings of Moses, in the story of the burning bush? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob died, God said to Moses, I am, present tense, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Here's the conclusion Jesus draws in verse 26. So, he is the God of the living, not the dead. You have made a serious error. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. 
We thank you that you give it to us for instruction. We thank you that you give it to us for conviction, for correction, for, for uh, instruction in righteousness. Lord, I pray that today we would open our spiritual ears and our spiritual eyes so that we can see what it is that you've given us. We can hear what it is that you're saying to us. But more importantly, God, I pray that we not just understand it. I pray that we apply it. Because your word says in James that you give us the word, not just to be hearers of it, but to be doers of it. I pray that you bring that to pass in my life and the lives of every person who hears this word today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So if a world-renowned architect and engineer walked in this morning and said, the builder of this sanctuary made uh, a serious mistake in the construction of the main beams, I think most of us would get up and make our way to the exit rather quickly, don't you? If No, y'all daredevils, y'all like, hmm, I wonder when they're going to fall. Um, most of us would get up and get out. If a caring, experienced, highly skilled doctor looked at you and said, there's been a serious mistake in the way your heart surgeon performed your valve replacement. I think most of us would hightail it to the ER, right? If a trusted uh, expert mechanic looked over your vehicle and said, there's been a serious mistake in the braking system of your car. Most of us wouldn't even drive it to the shop. We'd have it towed to the shop, right? We'd pay attention. I was reading this passage in Mark a few weeks ago in my personal devotion time, and the words of Jesus jumped out at me when he said, your mistake is, it got my attention. He said, in verse, he said it in verse 24, and then again in verse 27, he said, you've made a serious error. And that got my attention because I've read this passage hundreds of times over the years. But for whatever reason, this time it just, it was different. Jesus was plainly pointing out an error in their belief system. Now, it wasn't a minor correction of some obscure doctrine. He said, you're just plain wrong about this. Jesus is clearly the expert, right, about all things that have to do with Christianity, all things that have to do with the Word of God. Come to think of it, Jesus is the expert on all things because he created all things. And as the expert, Jesus said, there's a serious mistake here. So just like I would listen to an expert doctor or an expert engineer or mechanic, I paid attention to what Jesus was saying. And knowing what I know about human nature and especially about religious people, I knew immediately that whatever Jesus was about to point out to them was going to have implications and applications for us today. But even given that, when I circled back to verse 24, I was still a little shocked by just how on the nose this is for the American church. It's, it is clear, it is true, and it is brutally honest. Jesus said, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. And I see so many people in one or the other or both of those ditches in the American church today. And so today's message is called the Sadducees' Mistake. The Sadducees' Mistake. We're going to look at the mistake that Jesus pointed out so that we can do our best to stay as far away from those things as possible. Now, I think you would agree with me 
that we have become a nation of extremes. We've become a nation of extremes. There's almost no middle ground anymore. Every candidate, every political candidate is either a love them or hate them candidate. Every issue is perceived and pitched as pure evil by one side and purely righteous by the other side. The panic, the hysteria about everything is exhausting. But I'm afraid we've brought that kind of thinking, that kind of mindset into the church. You hear people say, well, well, we're a word church. We're a a word-focused church. You hear other people say, oh, we're a spirit church. Now, a lot of it depends on what they mean because some people don't even know what they're saying when they say it. But it's clear from the warning of Jesus that either one of those has the potential to be a very dangerous ditch for the church. So, Here's what Jesus was specifically addressing. Let's start with what exactly he was talking about. The Sadducees were a sect of the Jews who accepted only the Torah, which Jesus referred to as the book of Moses. That's the first five books of what we call the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those five books that are written by Moses. The Sadducees rejected everything else. They also rejected, uh, most famously, the idea of the resurrection and the afterlife. For the Sadducees, once a person died, they were just dead. The, the idea that there was a permanence of soul and spirit, they just wanted no part of that. That's too far out there. That's just too supernatural for them. And so when their political power or their religious influence got threatened by the popularity of the ministry of Jesus... They came to try to trap him with some kind of religious riddle to make him, to either discredit him in the eyes of the people, or uh, the the best of all possible scenarios would be to give that he would give them grounds to have him executed. And so they came up with this ridiculous story about a man and his six brothers who had all been married to the same woman. And the question at the end of it for Jesus was so, whose wife is she going to be in the afterlife? It wasn't a real question. It wasn't a real question. It was a hypothetical, gotcha type question. And it didn't come from a sincere place because the premise of the whole deal was something they didn't even believe in. A resurrection and an afterlife. So Jesus pretty quickly settled the point by pointing out their ignorance of the reality of heaven. The point was moot because Jesus said, you're not married in heaven anyway. We're brothers and sisters. We're not husbands and wives in eternity. And then, so Jesus pointed out the fallacy in their little argument, and then he pivoted real quickly to the real issue, their disbelief of the resurrection. And he said their disbelief was rooted in two issues, the Sadducees' mistake. They didn't know the Scripture because had they recognized the Scripture, had they known the Scripture, they would have recognized that Jesus called, that God called himself the great I Am, present tense. He called himself the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, referring to the three of them as if they were all alive at the same time, which of course they were in eternity. And Jesus also said, You don't believe in the power of God because you don't think God has the power to raise people from the dead. It was that simple. Their combined ignorance of the word of God and the power of God was a deadly combination. And Jesus said, you're in serious error. So what does that have to do with us 
in 2021? Well, it's still an applicable and appropriate rebuke of the American church. We are still making the same mistake. There are, there are two ditches of ignorance plaguing the American church. One is the ditch of the ignorance of the word. And the other is the ditch of the ignorance of the power of God. So when you don't know the scriptures, or you don't believe the scriptures, or you know them, but you don't value them over everything else, then you are very, very easily deceived. You very, very easily fall into a lifestyle that is not pleasing to God. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word of God has to be learned. It has to be understood. And it has to be hidden away in the depths of your heart. The, the word of God has to be foundational to your worldview, to your understanding of life. They have to be foundational to your decision-making process. Many people have abandoned the scripture for self-help psychobabble with no eternal authority as if making people happy or healthy or wealthy is the primary reason that Jesus was sent to earth in the first place. Other people accept the Bible and the Koran and the Book of Mormon and the, all the other so-called holy books as if they were all morally and spiritually equivalent. They blend them all together. You got friends like this on social media, don't you? That'll post a scripture and a quote from Buddha and their horoscope all in the same day. And I just want to reach out. I don't know if you can do this yet digitally, but I just want to strangle their little digital necks. Because they, they, they've fallen for doctrines of demons. And they've created a God in their own image and to their own liking. You just throw it all together and you just take what you like. According to the book of Revelation, this kind of ecumenical blending of religions is one day going to culminate in a one world religion that will give its allegiance to the beast and the antichrist and, and, and the false prophet. We've got to believe that the word of God is above every other book, period. Heaven and earth will pass away. The word of God will never pass away. And more than that, we have to know what it does and does not say. I am, I am scared to death that I would ever ascribe to God something that he never said and never intended to say. But we got people running all over the place Making up scriptures. They talk about scriptures that are not even in the book. Or their, their interpretation, their understanding, or their application of, the, of the, script, the so-called scripture. The word doesn't even support. The precepts of the Bible are not negotiable. The commands of the word are not suggestions. We can't just change whatever we don't like to make us more comfortable. We don't have editing rights to the book because it didn't come from man. It came from God. It is what it is. It says what it says. And when it's rightly divided, it brings wisdom and truth and holiness and peace and relationship with God. 
We cannot keep making the Sadducees mistake. We have to know the truth. On the other side of the Sadducees' mistake is that they not only don't know the Scriptures, they don't know the power of God. There are many people who may still preach a theologically sound doctrine, but they do it without a belief in the present-day power of God to move in the here and the now. They've gone to the other extreme. They've gone to the other ditch. They may believe that God did, but they do not believe that He does. That the time for miracles, the time for the expressions of the power of God on this earth have passed. That's called cessationism. That miracles and the the, the way that God interacts with his people in in miraculous and and, and incomprehensible ways, that all of that has ceased. That God no longer moves among his people that way. And so they they have this, this theology but they show up to worship with no expectation of divine visitation or habitation. They serve with no expectation of divine empowerment. They preach with no unction of divine divine enablement or inspiration. They dismiss even the possibility of the supernatural. Do you understand the danger of this side of the ditch too, this side of the road too? Now, it's, it's absolutely true that not every wind that blows is the wind of Pentecost. But there is still a mighty rushing wind of the Holy Spirit who baptizes believers, who empowers them for service, who gives them ministry gifts that have power that are beyond themselves. If a person truly reads the Word of God and truly accepts it as truth, I simply don't understand how they can believe that God is anything but supernatural. There can be no proper understanding of the Bible, no proper understanding of God, no understanding of Christianity or the Christ without accepting the supernatural as a given. It just is. Because it doesn't make any sense otherwise. The power of God is as much a part of who God is as His character, His nature, His wisdom. You can't believe that God is pure and holy and wise and just and not also believe that He is mighty and powerful above every other power in the earth. You can't believe that he has the power to create the universe with a word and yet somehow he lacks the ability or the resolve to interact with that creation now. How can you believe that God is creator but not believe in his power? How do you believe that Jesus' blood washes away our sins but not believe in his power? How do you believe in the miracles of the life of Christ that are recorded in this book but also believe that somehow he's lost the ability or the interest to do the same thing today. You say, well, John, I'm not really sure that he did like create everything with a word. I'm not like super sure that his blood really did wash away our sins. That's just hard to wrap your brain around. So there's the problem. You have fallen completely for the Sadducees' Mistake. You not only don't believe in the power of God, you don't believe in the Word of God either. 
Because if you read the book and you don't see God as creator and sovereign and you don't see Jesus as the atonement for our sins and as our soon coming king, then you need to read it again because you didn't understand what the book was about. It's in every book of the Bible, all 66 books. The Sadducees' mistake is a double-edged razor that has rendered the American church powerless in a world that is starved for both principle and power. And they look to the church, and we've got neither too often. So what do we do? What do we do? We have got to learn as the people of God, the followers of Christ, we have got to learn to operate in both word and spirit together. Together. It's not either or, it's both and. It's word and spirit. Together. Now, would you agree with me that Jesus was the most powerful spiritual person to ever walk the face of the earth. Can we, can we get there together? Can we, are we, okay. So how did that happen? Why was that? Well, John 1 says Jesus was the word made flesh. He was the living, breathing, physical incarnation of the word of God. But Luke 4 says he was full of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, if there was a way that being all in on one of those would get you to where you need to be, Jesus would have done that. Like it would, if, it was, if it was possible for it to be enough, he's the living incarnation of the Word of God. If it's possible for the Word to be enough by itself, then he would have been that. And on the other hand, if it was possible to just be full of the Spirit and not, and not worry about the Word, he could have been that too. That's not how it worked. He was both. He was the pure unadulterated, fully understood and manifested Word of God, full of grace and truth. But he was also an endless conduit of the power of God in the flesh. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He even commanded the elements of of nature and rearranged the laws of physics. But he wasn't just one of those things. He was both. People marveled at the power that he operated in, marveled at the miracles, but they also marveled at the teaching. They said, as he he expounded the truth, they said, we we never heard anything like this. We've heard teaching all our lives. Ain't no other teacher got anything. We've never heard anything like this. Even at the age of 12 years old, the, the extraordinary spiritual gift that he had with the Word was obvious to everybody around. Why was Jesus so powerful? What made him so powerful? Was it the Word? Was it the Spirit? Yes. It was both. It was both. And the answer for us as followers of Jesus, should should we focus on the Word? Should we focus on the Spirit? Yes. It's both. Let me show it to you. In John 4, verses 23 and 24, Jesus said this, But the time is coming, indeed it's now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father. How? In spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship 
in spirit and in truth. How did Jesus say the Father wants to be worshipped? Spirit and truth together. Ephesians chapter 6. This is the passage that, that we refer to as the, the, uh, the, the spiritual warfare passage. The whole armor of God. At the end of it, he says, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Did you see that? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The power of the Spirit animates the weapon of the Word. Spirit and truth together. You can't say, well, I just want to understand the Word. That's all I'm worried about. Or I just want to, I just want to flow in the Spirit. You can't do that. They, don't, they are not each sold separately. That's not how that works. They come together. They were never intended to be apart. Never intended to be diced up. Never intended to be separated. Worship is powerful because it's spirit and truth. The armor of God is powerful because it's spirit and truth. I know people who, who are in the power ditch who act like the Bible is there to put a damper on their spiritual party. The Word of God is not, is not given to us to limit the Holy Spirit. He never limits the Holy Spirit. He identifies the Holy Spirit. It, it's, it's impossible for the Holy Spirit to violate the Word of God. Impossible. So when, when the, the Spirit is present and the Word is present, they complement each other. They never, they never oppose each other, ever. Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the same. So the, the Word of God is never going to limit the authentic methods and movings of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God helps you to know what's really Him and what might just be your own heart. Right? Your own, your own mind, will, or emotions. Because Jeremiah says a human heart is deceitful above all things. The Word of God also helps to identify spiritual forces that may be of a different source. Like, John, that sounds weird. What does that mean? Just because something is spiritual doesn't mean the Spirit is holy. The Word of God says to test the Spirit, the spirits, and see if they are of God. Well, how do you do that? Is it based on how it makes you feel or whether it's reasonable or whether it makes sense? No, by the Word of God. You test the spirits by the Word. It is the only objective source of eternal truth. So the Word of God is never going to limit the Holy Spirit. But there are guidelines contained in the Word to help limit people. Why? Because people can be deceived. Anybody want to push back on that? People are prone to deception. So we need something that is above the, the, the uh, editing rights of a person. We need something that has authority that goes beyond what we might think or feel or the possible deception that we may have fallen into. I want you to look at what Paul said about the value of the Word of God to validate spiritual experiences. This is Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8. Paul said, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or look, even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. That's the Word of God. I say it again, I say again what we've said before, if anybody preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. 
Do you know what would happen in 2021 if, we, if somebody claims they heard something from an angel? Like they're going to grab a bus and hit the road. They're going to have tent revivals, websites. They're going to have, they, I promise you, they'll have some online giving thing too. They'll, they'll, have, they'll create their own deal, man, because they heard it from an angel or at least who they thought was an angel. Paul said, I don't care if it is an angel. This is the word of God and it's true forever. So if anything contradicts it, stop listening to it. When a person's in the power ditch, always seeking some spiritual experience without the counterbalance of the word, it's easy to create your own gospel. And that's a dangerous place to be in. Even the, even the children of Israel called the golden calf Jehovah. It doesn't matter what you call it if it's not authentic, then it's a lie. You have to know the Word of God. On the other hand, knowing and understanding the power of God from first-hand experience makes it easier, it makes it possible to understand the Scriptures because your experience validates what you read in the Word. You read it and go, that's what happened to me. Yeah, that's what happened to me. Or based on my experience with the Holy Spirit, I've got no doubt that He could have done this or that in the life of this or that person. Besides the fact that it's only through the Holy Spirit that you can even understand the Word of God in the first place. Because Paul's writing says this is a spiritual deal and it can only be understood with a spiritual mind. So the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the mind of Christ to be able to understand spiritual things. It takes both. I've seen people who passionately believed in the Word of God but weren't really convinced about the power of God, about that application in their lives. So they just laid there taking a whooping from the enemy that they didn't have to take. On the other hand, I've seen people who think everything's a demon and they're rebuking and fighting everything because they think they're spiritual when all along the answer is right here. They'd just crack it open, they'd find the answer. Besides the fact that the Authority for spiritual warfare is not just in the power of God, it's in the Word of God. When you operate in the authority of the Word of God, the enemy has no choice but to obey you because he's not obeying you, he's obeying the Word of God that's in you and through you. But guess who else knows the Bible inside and out? The enemy does. The enemy. Because if you don't have the authority, he ain't moving. Look at the temptation in the Garden of Eden. Look at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. What did he do? He used the truth of the word and then he twisted it into a lie. So what do you do about that? You do what Jesus did. You fight a lie with the truth of God's word. If we're ever going to be effective as believers, if we are going to be effective as worshipers, if we're going to be effective in spiritual warfare, then we've got to have to, we've got to know both spirit and truth. You see, the Sadducees were in the most dangerous position of all. They were woefully ignorant of Scripture and also unconvinced of the power of God. When people do that, they tend to ignore both spirit and truth. 
They tend to ignore any higher authority than themselves, and they're left with only their own goals and interests. The Sadducees, there really weren't very many of them. There were much, way more Pharisees in the land at the time. But the Sadducees exerted a lot of influence through money and, and politics. And it makes sense, right? When you're unencumbered by a higher power than yourself, when you don't answer to anybody, at least you don't think you do, and you're not limited by anybody else's sense of morality, you can sure make a name for yourself on the earth. The problem with that mindset, you're like, that sounds pretty good. I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to be my own man. I'm going to be the captain of my own ship. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. The problem is everybody dies. And when you die, you can no longer deny the existence of a real and powerful and eternal truth that's been trying to get your attention all along. Only now it's too late. There are a lot of people who claim to be Christians, but who 65% of this country, as a matter of fact, claims to be Christian. Many of them don't really believe the truth of God or the power of God. So they've traded the blessed hope for the American dream. And they're using the connections of religion to try to make it happen for themselves. It's the Sadducees' mistake. Only this is 21st century style. We can't fall for it. We can't fall for it. We have to stay grounded and rooted in a proper understanding of both the Holy Spirit and the Word of God because they complement each other and they make us more like Jesus. So here's the takeaway this morning. Here's the next steps. If you realize that you're either in or dangerously close to one of these ditches, let me encourage you this morning to repent. Repent. Repentance is not uh, a guilt trip. Repentance is not an emotional response to finding out that you're doing something wrong. Repentance is a decision to change your direction. And if you're in or near a ditch, you definitely need to change your direction or you're going to be consumed by it. If you're the, or, so if you're the, the, the person who is the freewheeling, anything goes, just going to feel it till I figure it out kind of person, it's time to get into the Word and find out who the, really, the Holy Spirit really is. Or if you're the, all I need is the Word of God, I'm just going to read my Bible eight, eight hours a day, but you've got no tolerance for experiencing the power of God for yourself. You need to start applying this word that you know so well. Start worshiping him more openly. Start praying more pointedly and with the authority that you find in the word of God. In this day and age, people need to see Jesus and they can only see him in us. They need to see people who are well equipped to walk in both word and spirit. So let me tell you this. They sang that song this morning, uh, The Blessing. And y'all know that song does it for me. It just, I'm just a babbling idiot when they sing this song. I just, I don't know what it is. It just connects with me on a level that I can't explain. And I don't, and, and we've, sing, we've sung scripture songs forever. But there's something about the declaration of God over your life 
that's more than just words on a page. You understand? So when, when, when we talk about the words of God that he speaks over us, that does something for me. When we talk about the promises that he's made to us, that's not just something to memorize in Sunday school. It's something to apply in your life. It, if you have to move from just the word of God and allow the spirit to bring that thing to life in, in your reality. And part of the reason that, that that song is so meaningful for me is that in, in times of my life when it felt like anxiety and fear and the pressures of this world were going to suffocate me, I would play that song and I would sing it and declare it over myself, believing the words to not just be comforting and pleasing, but believing them to be true. That I am blessed, that I have the favor of God, that I have the presence of God with me, that I have the blessing of God, that He's going to turn His face towards me, that He's going to bless my family, for my, my kids and my kids' kids, and, and for a thousand generations. I believe it. I believe it. Many of you know right after one of our grandkids was born this past summer, Beckett had a problem um, breathing. It had to be surgically repaired. And so when he would start struggling to breathe, sometimes it helped to take him outside. And I'd pick him up and I'd go outside with him. And I'd sing this song over him. Believing that God was going to bring him through. Believing that God's presence was with him too. That his favor was on him too. And as I've gotten Aislinn to sleep and I've gotten Paisley to sleep, sometimes they like to be sung to. I'll sing this blessing over them. Not just as a pleasing melody that'll put the little booger to sleep for a minute, but as the truth of God made real in their lives. Not, not a dead word on a page that's been there for 3,000 years, but a living, breathing, active word made active by the power of God who has not lost one ounce of power and strength since his creation, since the creation of, since he created the world. He has always existed since eternity past, will always exist in eternity future. John, I just, I just don't know about the, the living, breathing thing about the Word. The Word of God says about itself, the Bible is quick and powerful. What does that mean? That's King James for alive. It is alive and it has power to divide soul and spirit, to divide motive from action. It's, it's the Word put into action by the Spirit. It's Word and power together. That's how you make it real in your life. You read, you read stories about accounts about people who were healed. You read passages about healing. Then you don't just read it and acknowledge it. You pray those prayers in faith, believing that what he said we could have and what he said he could do, he still can. And it's the same about provision and peace and about every other promise of the word. It's not in the sweet by and by. It's, it's now in your, relation, your covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. Y'all stand with me.
I don't know if I've convinced you or exhausted you, but y'all looking at me like that, so y'all just need to stand. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do if you'll, if you'll do me this favor. The team's going to come and sing in just a minute. We're going to, this altar is always open. If there's been something in this message that uh, has challenged you, something that's convicted you, or, or if not, would you give us like three minutes, four minutes? As they sing this song, would you allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and maybe point out some things in your life that need to change? Maybe you're, you're fine. Maybe you're still in the middle of the road, but you're angling in one direction or the other. Maybe the, the Holy Spirit just needs to adjust your course. Or maybe you're in both ditches. You don't really think much about the Word of God and you have no interest in exploring the power of God. And let me invite you to repent and to come to a real relationship with Jesus today. And if you have any other need in your life, you've got anything else going on that you'd like to pray about, whether it's a relationship issue, whether it's a financial issue, a big decision you got coming up, a physical or emotional healing that you need, whatever it is, you come. You bring that need before the Lord, and I believe that he'll meet you here. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the chance to be in your word today, and I, I pray, God, that we heard your voice, not just mine. We know that your word is true. We know that your word is eternal. We know that your power is endless, that your love, it, it knows no limits. And I pray that you'd help us to experience all of that in the fullness that you want us to today. Lord, would you call those that you want to meet in this altar today and draw them to yourself, meet their needs, bring them peace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.